This week on Prepping 2.0. Resource and motivation, that's what we do. Today, telling you our picks for prepping TV shows that we believe are worth your time. Prepping TV show picks. When disaster strikes, will you be prepared? This is Prepping 2.0 with authors and prepping experts, Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Online at prepping2-0.com. Get ready. Prepping 2.0 coming in three, two. One. Welcome, everyone. This is Shelby Gallagher over here at Prepping 2.0, joined by my co-host on the show and co-host of Life, Glenn Tate. Let's be honest. Almost all of TV is garbage. But there are a few prepping shows that we think might be worth your time because you can actually learn from them. Today, we give you our picks. And as always, remember, the only thing harder than planning for a disaster is explaining why you did. A great way to plan for a disaster is to look up New Mana Foods on our website at prepping2-0.com. Go over to Friends and Affiliates. New Mana Foods specializes in freeze-dried, deep prep food. Family-sized portions. Family-sized portions. You're going to pack this away into your deep prep so when things are really, really spicy and you have no sources of food, you have them. And they're shelf-stable for like 25 years. Good stuff over there. Check them out. And it's spelled new, N-U-M-A-N-N-A. Think of manna from the Bible. It's the new manna, N-U-M-A-N-N-A. But you don't even have to worry Just about the website. Just go to our website. Yeah, to our, what is there. our website, by the way? Prepping2-0.com. Friends and affiliates is where you're going to find all these great and that's folks, the including new manna. Yeah. There you go. Prepping tips from Bosnia survivors. This is a list that they came up with of the top 100 items that disappear first. It's on our website, prepping2-0.com, under the heading Top 100 List of Things. This week, it's number 36, Fire Extinguishers. Uh, Shelby, why do we have so many fire extinguishers? We have a lot of fire extinguishers. We do. We kind of overdid it. Or maybe not. No, we didn't. We were prepared. So let's jump back. This is to summer. Way back time machine. Time machine. Go back to the summer of love. Summer of 2020 when cities were burning down. The other thing that was burning down toward the end of that summer, you all might remember there was a little group out there, Antifa, running around the Pacific Northwest, specifically Oregon and Washington, and setting fires. Setting forest fires, wildfires. Like on video, guys with a gas can. And lighters. And lighters getting picked up by Concerned citizens, I'm sure nothing happened to them because no. we have two justice is, systems yeah. in this country. So this was happening. It's happening all over Oregon and Washington where those sort of groups don't get prosecuted. If you had looked, in August of that year was crispy dry where we lived in western Washington. And if you looked at a fire map. Which we did daily. Which we did daily. We lived in one of the few places that wasn't burning. So we got that going for us. We, yeah. we, we aren't on fire. Two, we had just been doxxed. Yeah. What's a great place to go set a new fire? What's a great way to burn out or kill people you don't like if you're Antifa? And especially if you are into doxing. Set a forest fire and you know that they know where we live because they doxed us. They know that we live out in the forest and it was very dry. So we were really concerned. And I know this sounds crazy here in 2023, but you have to get into the summer of 2020 mindset. Uh, we and live concerned. in a blue state. Yeah, and live in a blue state where there is no accountability for these And the law gives two poops about mm-hmm. Glenn and Shelby. Yeah. So we uh, got, what, I think eight fire No, we got 12. We got 12. 12. And we got cameras. Yeah. And we were fully prepared to, one, fight a fire if it happened on our property. We made sure that someone was on our property or nearby, so if something went up. And then we were prepared to fight a fire. We were prepared to drive off offenders and defend our property. Yes. So the fire extinguishers were one part of that. And we still have them. And honestly, we live still in a forest. Not that Antifa is going to come down our road, but we still have fire concerns because we live in a forested area. What a great example of an item on a top 100 list that you may not have thought the importance of. You're like, oh, fire extinguishers. I don't know why that's a big deal. Maybe I'm like Joe Biden and I get a kitchen fire, right? No, they're really useful. So anyway, there we go. Enough about fire extinguishers. Here's what you missed from a recent after show if you're not a patriot. To make the process go easier for both sides, just pull down your front window, your back window, keep both hands on the steering wheel. If you want to tell a guy you have a gun, go ahead. He or she doesn't really care if you're not a threat. I don't care that you have a gun. Good for you. Thanks for supporting your Second Amendment. Just give me your license and go on your way, man. There's so much more to this show than the regular show. Find out what you're missing for a mere $2 a month to get the after show. If you're wondering, how do I improve my listening experience? You can go to prepping2-0.com and click the Patreon button. 
what's holding you back? Is it the $2? I hope not. Anyway, let's get into it. Well, we try to paint a picture for you of learning resources. We try to show you things that you can go and independently study and learn because we're a big resource. That's what we do. Resource and motivation. That's what we do. Today, we do so on giving you learning resources by telling you our picks for prepping TV shows that we believe are worth your time. And let's start off with a fundamental point because a lot of listeners are sitting there going, Glenn and Shelby are suggesting we sit down in front of TV and watch TV. That doesn't seem like them. Let's be clear. TV, 99% of the time, is an enormous waste of time. It is terrible. And, you know, it's funny. All of our prepping friends, I can't think of a single one that says, ooh, there's this new thing on Netflix you got to watch. None of our friends are into TV. And I talk to so many people that say, I haven't watched TV for the past 10 years. Or they'll say to us, the shows that we're going to talk about today, have you watched that? And then we have a great discussion on it. But that, right. th- it's very, very limited. Yeah. Very limited. You know, and a way of illustrating that is on occasion when Shelby and I are watching TV, there will be previews that come on, you know, of some new crime drama or some crazy thing, some series. And 100% of the time, we have always looked at each other and said, uh, why would we watch that? You know what it's like, Shelby? It's like, The TV audience, the general population TV audience, completely doesn't include us. It's like we're completely isolated. It's almost like if we were in another country, we were watching previews for Portugal TV, and they said, yeah, new series in Portugal, it's going to be some Portuguese uh, soap opera. And we'd look at each other and say, we're obviously not the intended audience. That's how we feel about American TV. There is one exception, uh, other than the shows we're going to talk about, there is one exception. What is the one exception that Glenn watches religiously? Oh, Rockford Files. You have a t-shirt, actually. I have a t-shirt, a Rockford Files t-shirt. If you have not seen it and you're a Gen Xer and you saw it when you were a kid, it was in the 70s. Watch it because it's as good today. It is aged well. And let's be honest, when we're talking about TV, there are some shows from the 70s and early 80s that have not aged well. For example, uh, Magnum P.I. Loved the show when I was a kid, but now I watch it and it kind of seems dumb. It does. It does. Now, Rockford Files, though. It never gets old. No. And to watch uh, scenes in Southern California before it went down the poop shoot. Yeah. Yeah. You sit there and you go, wow, that must have been a great place to live. Past tense. Mm -hmm. Well, here is another thought we have about TV prepping shows. Let's get this out of the way right up front. Doomsday Preppers sucks. We hate that show. It has done more harm to the acceptability of prepping than anything else. I don't know that it was a big conspiracy to isolate and belittle preppers and make the general population think we're all insane, but it sure was effective. Shelby, what is the reaction when somebody says, oh, you must be a doomsday prepper? What's Glenn's reaction to that? Well- Punching them in the face? Right. And I have, no, I don't not, do that. Your reaction inside is I want to punch them in the face. It's generally, it's cut this conversation yeah. short and walk away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, we are not talking about, I watched and, and I want to be fair because I thought, well, okay, everyone's talking about this show. It seems really dumb to me, but I'm going to watch it. So I was on a business trip and I was in, you know, hotel room and I was flipping channels. I could only stomach about eight minutes of the show. And I thought to myself, This is such garbage. I think that is the show because the participants in the show are real people that think they're putting out an awesome message. And you know, the producers are gaslighting them and manipulating their short sightedness. Yeah. So I think that show has grown the huge distrust that prepping community has for media. Thank you. And so when we get calls from the media, you know, we've talked about it before, we've been on media before, but the first thing we say to people, producers who outreach to us, don't mess with us. Don't doomsday prep Don't us. you dare present us in a light that we do not approve. Of. And we have long conversations, long, long, sometimes tense conversations yeah. before moving forward. So that show created that distrust. So those of you listening should consider this. And somebody comes at you with the doomsday prepper thing, and it's usually at Thanksgiving dinner when you're aunt or uncle will say something stupid like, oh, you have some food. What are you, a doomsday Mm -hmm. prepper? 
just unload on them. Feel free to do it. I know I'm getting in your lives and I'm telling you to create distrust and discord and disharmony with your family, but I feel like that's my job. Mm -hmm. No, I'm kidding. But it is so viscerally wrong what doomsday preppers did to this community. And I will say this, though, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And that is I've had a couple conversations with people who have said, basically, doomsday preppers made me think you guys were crazy. And now I've watched the headlines and I've seen what's going on. And Mm -hmm. I remember I couldn't get toilet paper in 2020. And so doomsday preppers was crazy, but you guys aren't. So there's light at the end of the tunnel. And I will say, For sure. We saw that during 2020, wink, wink, during the flu. Yes, a word we can't really say or we'll be banned on more platforms than we already are. I think we saw a whole lot of people go, I'm not going to be that kind of prepper. I'm not a doomsday prepper. I'm not a doomsday prepper, but I'm going to prep. I'm going to put some things away. I'm going to, and to you, good job. Good job. And realizing that that was a produced manipulation. Yeah. Yeah. So, Shelby, what is the first TV show going from shows we hate to shows that we actually yeah, recommend? We're gonna go to That's my, why people are listening. Right. They want to hear go to what my shows. Absolute favorite. What's that? It is Alone, and it is on the History Channel, and it has been around now. Gosh, and I'm going to apologize to everyone for all of these shows. I've not watched probably the last two seasons. I was busy getting a master's degree. Yeah. But Alone started. So they're probably on their tenth or eleventh season. Yeah, I'd say ten. And. I watched their first seasons. And so what alone is, let me give you the premise. I totally recommend they take 10 people, let's just say 10 people, and they put them in a pretty harsh environment, generally Vancouver Island, Canada. For some reason, that seems to be the place they go the most. Although they've Tax gone, credits from the right, Canadian government is why. Probably. They've got to a harsher environment for one season. so they get Like the Arctic. Well, not the Arctic. They actually went to like something like Costa Rica or something okay. hot. So what they do is they have 10 people and they give them a list and you can find it on their website of things that they can take. Every contestant gets it. But you have to pick. No, you do get 10 standard things and then you get to pick from these items. Okay. So, and they send you out there alone. And when I say alone, I mean the only cameras are those that contestants turn on and off. The contestants are in charge of their own footage. So So there's no way for this to be a manipulated reality Mm -mm. show. No. So if you're a contestant, you are choosing what you're going to say and do on camera, which is interesting. And another little factoid, I believe is in season one or two, I want to say season one, famous prepper author, Angry American, was yes. a contestant. He did not make it to the end. So the premise is, is you go out there all alone with this gear, this prescribed gear, and see how long you can last. And that's it. And what is... Oh, and let me just say, yes. the person who's last standing wins $500,000. Yeah. What is the number one factor in people winning or tapping out? I would say the number one, and there's probably about three or four on this, and this is why I watch it, is mental. Yeah. And let me talk about how that mental effect happens. First of all, the loneliness. You will hear contestants when they kind of do an after show and recap, the loneliness gets to them. And the camera, you can see the camera actually becomes their friend. It's kind of like... The volleyball in that movie with Tom Hanks, he's talking to the volleyball because he just needs someone to talk to. So the camera becomes a friend. And then the missing of your family. That's huge. That's huge. And so couple that with if you have not figured out your food sources, you're going to slowly starve, which is, and I'll talk about that here in a moment, you slowly will starve. That really messes with your emotions. And it's interesting because we can say when you're really hungry- you're going to act weird and make terrible decisions. You can see it on this show. And when you see the examples of it, you see it played out in somebody's life and you see the slow deterioration on camera. Yeah. It is really telling. It is the best way I think possible for you to learn exactly what mm-hmm. the stakes are when it comes to slow starvation. So let me give you two things on that. Now, are you saying Shelby... I mean, they just let these people go out and starve. No, they actually have health checks every couple of weeks where people come in, little medical groups come in and they do a monitor on them. And honestly, if a person is deteriorated too far, whatever, whatever, they will medically tap them out and force them out. And there's been several times people have been medically tapped out and they went kicking and screaming. And then it took them eight to 10 months to recover because their starvation was so far along. So 
there's that. It's kind of alarming to watch. Um, the other part of that, though, and it's hard to see them necessarily starving because by the time this is happening, they're so bundled up because it's winter and it's cold. You don't see like their rib cage and things like that. I wanted to follow up on something you said because I found it one of the most informative things that I never really thought about. And that is the recovery from slow starvation. So what they'll do is they'll, they'll have segments after, and even the winners, right. especially the, the winners. The winners, because they've gone the longest without meaningful food. Now, are they hunting and things like that? Yes, they are. But still, it's not like the diet we have every Exactly. Day. And to see them say, yeah, um, the first few weeks, all I could eat was soup or whatever they say. Right. I mean, it's amazing. And it really reminds you Number one, how good we have it. But it also reminds you that if there's a starvation situation and even if things come back and there's plentiful food, that you're going to have to manage the reintroduction in the recovery. Thank you. The recovery. And and that is something that I don't know you would ever have a reason to think about unless you saw it. On there, so you mentioned tapping out, and mm-hmm. and everybody, every contestant has a satellite phone, and if they want to tap out for whatever reason, usually it's mental. And I've told you this when you first started watching this; they got you hooked on a few seasons. You can tell immediately when someone's going to tap out. And how do you know? They start saying things like, "My kids really need me right now. My yeah. I can't, my wife really needs me right now." Here's the thing. When you go do something like this, you're looking at about three, four months. You're looking at 100, 150 days. I think the longest is somewhat like 130, 40 days. I think the longest. I mean, a deployment in the military is longer than that. So when your mind is starting to tell you, oh, my gosh, my kids are always going to remember that I abandoned. And you see how your emotions are taking over? And now you're ascribing a lot of emotion to this. And your kids need me. My wife needs me. Oh, my gosh. Well, if you've set this upright to do this show. You have prepared your kids and your family. I'm going to go away for three or four months and I'm going to come back. and With a half million with dollars. A half million, and I'll tell you what, the people who win this, God bless them because a half million dollars changed their life for the better. Yeah. I remember watching, I want to say season six or seven, young dad. It's like, he just stuck it out. Why? Because his kids, he did this for his kids and creating a better future for them financially. It was amazing to watch. So when you start seeing them start missing their family... Get ready. And within about an episode or two, they're going to tap out. Yeah. And it's fun to watch because you sit there and you start wondering who's going to tap out. There is a reality show part of this. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. and, and you know, you sit there and you have conversations with your spouse. You're like, oh, they're gonzo or they're going to make it. And you mentioned something else that I had never thought of that I ended up finding fascinating. And that was planning your food supply. Talk about that. A lot of people do it in different ways. And what's interesting is you watch seasons. Like you'll see some, like in season four, five, six, they'll be like, I learned from the guy in season one. Oh, yeah. They're learning. So um, they do not allow firearms, but they do allow you to bring like fishing gear and maybe a crossbow so you can hunt. So you better be careful with those arrows and choose wisely, right? So they're learning from past contestants, which is really interesting. And every single person that comes on now is like, I got to get an elk, a deer, a something. You need to get something big gamey. And preserve it, which and is preserve tricky. And preserve it. And so you see a lot of people setting up smokers. You see a lot of people smoking a lot of meat. One of the people that I remember got tapped out medically because he starved so much. He fished like crazy, smoked a ton of fish and then rationed it. And he's like, when they were medically tapping him out, he's like, I will go eat all of that fish right now. Don't make me do it. And he realized he didn't eat enough. The other aspect of it, one of the first contestants, and those of us in the prepping community know who this person is generally, her name is Nicole Appellian, and she is the author of the herbal book, let's see, the Lost Book of Herbal Remedies. She was eating fish pretty well. She had to tap out season one, but she was eating a lot of really good vegetation. And I can't remember why she had to tap out. And then they did kind of a best of where she was able to come back and she had a medical condition that caused her to have to tap out. But it's interesting. Everyone brings different gifts to the game. If you're an herbalist, if you're a good forager, you're, you're good. If you're good at hunting, do it. If you're good at trapping or snaring, that seems to be a good one too. But generally speaking, no matter where they put you at in um, Vancouver Island here, you're going to be near a water source where you can fish. But fish are seasonal. Once winter comes in, you got to you got to make a plan. And remember, the northern part of Vancouver Island, where many of these uh, mm-hmm. shows take place, is 
by Alaska. I mean, it's really cold. It's cold. When we, you think Vancouver, you probably think, you know, sunniness. It's like, oh, it's like Seattle. No. It's Vancouver Island. This is not Vancouver City. Yeah, Vancouver exactly. Island. You mentioned they have about 10 people. Um, describe how they pick contestants because – not just every Tom, Dick, and Harry can get on this right. show. So I think in the beginning, in the first couple seasons, three seasons, they were choosing, honestly, I think preppers. And again, ang- uh, Angry American was one of them, and Cola Pellian, who's a forager. Um, they're choosing people from that community. But I think as the show has gone on, and especially if you watch the beginning of a season where they introduce the contestants, you're seeing bushcrafters, you're seeing survivalists, you're seeing people who live off the grid purposely and their daily meal is hunted and foraged food. Like they're, they're full on full-time. This is their homesteaders. lifestyle. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, and, and homesteaders probably isn't even the right word. These are bushcrafters. Yeah. These are off the grid bushcrafters that eat almost all their own food and are very experienced in survivalist off grid survival. And even then, even then, you get to about the third week and that starvation starts kicking in and the cold starts kicking in. It gets really difficult. Let me set this up, though, too. You get sent out there at about fall time, about this time, where it's still warm outside. And so you have to, one, set up shelter that will withstand a winter. So in the beginning, the first episode, you're seeing people in, like, really fortified tents. No, now you have people going out there, and they're, like, whacking away and making log cabins with chimneys to survive the winter. And to do that, you're going to burn a load of calories, and you need to be hunting at the same time. So those first two or three weeks are pretty crucial. So when you watch that show, that's what you're going to see, this mad dash to build shelter that lasts the winter, and this mad dash to to do food. It's hard to do both at the same time. And I'm glad you said it's hard to do both at the same time, because this is yet another example of the fact that if you think you're going to be a lone wolf and just go out Mm -hmm. there and uh, just run a trot line and get a bunch of fish and it's going to be really cool because you won't have to deal with people because you don't really like people, uh, that's probably not a good plan. You sit there and you see vivid example after example of how it would be great to even have one other person you know, able to guard against the wolves, which are a real thing on Vancouver mm-hmm, Island. Absolutely. And bears. And bears. It, it, you, you realize how impossible this is to do by yourself and how you absolutely need at least one other person. Absolutely. Ten would be better. I'll say this. We only have about a minute or two left. They did do one season where you could pair up with a family member. So they had couples, they had sibling groups. And even then it was hard. And if one person in your group tapped out like... And a couple of the husband tapped out. That's it. You're both out. Isn't it's that a crazy? team tap out. It was a team tap out. It's so difficult. So yeah, there's that show has taught me a lot just about the the mental game. The mental game and get ready to work hard. And all of the preppers I've talked to in the last couple of years, that's one of their favorites as well. So And I think it's really important not only because we all know that mental stuff is important, but I stress again, when you see it happening, when you see it unfolding and, and oh, it's sort of like time-lapse photography, basically, you see it unfolding, it really makes a lasting impression on you. And I think it's one of the best resources out there to learn about the mental aspect Absolutely. of all of this. So, folks, we've only gotten into one of our favorite shows. We have so much more to talk about. Join us on the other side of the break for more on our prepping TV show picks. More of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher is coming right up. Hear all our previous shows free online at prepping2-0.com. Are you a prepper or homesteader looking to connect with like-minded people in your area? Looking to start your own preparedness group? Already have a group? Well, look no further than PrepperNet. PrepperNet is dedicated to personal responsibility, individual freedoms, and being self-reliant. PrepperNet has monthly meetings in over 100 cities where you can meet and learn with like-minded people in your area. PrepperNet, where preppers unite. Find us online at PrepperNet.com. Prepping 2.0 is about that next level of prepping. One of the key 2.0 items to have is bulletproof body armor plates. I used to think body armor was too tactical for a regular guy like me, but it isn't. Give yourself, your family, and your team an unfair advantage when bullets are flying. 
body armor used to be expensive and hard to get. Not anymore. KD Armor, and that stands for Come and Take It, makes solid and affordable body armor for normal people. Get body armor while you can. The clowns in Congress are trying to prohibit future sales. KD Armor is the place to get it. C-A-T-I-Armor.com. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount when you use the coupon code GRANT. When the grid goes down, darkness will descend fast. Used to be there was nothing you could do about an EMP, electromagnetic pulse, or CME, coronal mass ejection. Now you can protect your electronics, protect your family, thanks to EMP Shield. EMP Shield invented a simple to install device that prevents whatever's connected to it from frying in an EMP or a CME, and it costs just a few hundred dollars. EMP Shield has been tested by independent laboratories and passed muster with the government, which has ordered lots of them. Google EMP Shield and see for yourself. And save some money. Get a $50 discount per device. Go to prepping2-o.com. Click on the Friends and Affiliates page, then click on the EMP Shield logo. At checkout, use coupon code PREPPING2.0. It's all one word. Shelby Gallagher here. We found that you need to layer your food preps. Yeah, this is Glenn Tate here. A lot of times the hardest part of layering is the long-term foods. We love Numana foods, which have a 25-year shelf life and are non-GMO. Also, organic meals are available. Numana comes in family-style portions and in bulk. This is not backpacking food. It's family meals that last for at least 25 years. The perfect freeze-dried part of your food layering. You can get a sample of Numana meals for $19.95 and see for yourself. You will be amazed. Prepping 2.0 listeners get a 10% discount by entering the code PREP. Go to Numana.com or click the link on the Prepping 2.0 website. Give it a try. Numana.com. That is N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Without water, you're done in three days. Pro One Water Filters. It's literally a matter of life and wet. Pro One G 2.0 all-in-one gravity systems are NSF, ANSI 42 component certified. Not everybody can say that. No need for additional add-on filters to reduce fluoride. Pro One stainless gravity systems include a stainless steel spigot and a countertop stand for no additional cost. Pro One Water Filter Gravity Systems. Check them out at ProOneUSA.com. That's P-R-O-O-N-E. USA.com. Most tested, most trusted. In a tactical situation, your AR is your life. Gibbs Arms makes a sweet feature, the only side charger that can use a standard bolt carrier group with no modification. Gibbs makes them in 9mm, 5.56, and 308. In fact, Gibbs Arms has been granted eight patents for unique innovations. The company started back in 2008 when two Boeing engineers realized no one else made what they wanted. Take a look at their website and see all the ways Gibbs Arms can help you mod your AR. Gibbs with a Z, arms.com. That's G-I-B-B-Z-A-R-M-S.com. Now, more of Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. Thanks for rejoining us, folks. We're just getting started with our conversation about our prepping TV show picks. For even more, stick around for the after show, especially if you're a Patreon supporter and you can find out how to do that at our website, prepping2-0.com. Hey, I forgot to mention, and yes. I don't want to, our amazing sponsors. You don't want to forget. You do want to mention. I want to mention. Yeah. I never want to forget again. Survival Garden Seeds. Pro One Water Filters, Katie Armor, Backwoods Home Magazine, Minuteman Coffee, EMP Shield, Paul Burke, Realtor over in Idaho. You can also find him at FirstResponsibility.com, powered by Fathom Realty, Gibbs Arms, and of course, Andy over at Podcast Access. All of our friends and affiliates can be found on our website at Prepping2-0.com, along with a whole lot of coupon codes. There's a great new product we wanted to tell you about, and the nature of Prepping 2.0 and the rationale for the name of the show, we have so many new listeners, we need to let folks know some of these things, is Prepping 2.0, it's the next level. And one of the reasons for that is that there are new products that pop up that are really amazing. And we want to let folks know about them. And one of them is Grid Down Redoubt. It's made by the folks who make EMP Shield, which is amazing. They make their grid protecting systems. But EMP Shield decided to tackle what I've always thought is the major weakness in the alternative energy system, and that is battery storage. You can have the coolest solar panels that do the most awesome things, and you can brag about your your system to your friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you use, but if you can't store the energy, it's not helpful for you. Grid Down Redoubt, very simply, is a battery bank system 
that is ready to go and you don't have to buy, you know, 40 um, lead acid batteries, you know, car batteries that go bad after a couple of years and you don't have to keep filling them every month with water. All the problems with the kind of ultra DIY battery banks, all that goes away with grid down readout. So it is the battery solution to the alternative energy system. We love to tell you about past episodes. We call it Archive Dive. Our past episode, again, so many new listeners, they may not know, is episode 92, which aired in August 2020. One of my all-time favorite episodes because it talks about an absolutely essential topic that is often forgotten, and that is water. It talks about sourcing water, treating water, transporting water, storing it, and the security you need. What do we call that on this show? Shelby? A system. Everything's a system. Everything you have to system. take care of all parts of the system. Let's resume. Uh, yes. would you, do you have any follow-up on the show alone, or should we move to the other shows? I would just add this. One interesting thing with this is that even when there's an emergency that happens to one of these contestants, and there has been emergencies, they are truly alone. They have to use their satellite radio, and it can be several hours before they can bring the boat or helicopter in. One episode I in particular I remember is when somebody's shelter yeah. burned down during the night. Pretty dramatic. Pretty dramatic and pretty dangerous. Um, luckily, it didn't start a forest fire, but here's this person without shelter in the middle of winter. We're talking 30 below, Arctic winter. And basically, I had to sit there staying warm in the embers before he could be rescued out the next morning. So I think it's a very realistic, it's not staged, which is one of my criticisms for so many of these shows. And I, I really appreciate how they really try to show an authentic bushcraft off-grid situation for a long time. And then I appreciate all of our ancestors, our generations past that made it across the West in the yeah. middle of the winter and didn't. Go Die. through right. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so let's go into the next show, shall we? Yes. Uh, what is that show? It is naked and afraid. Yes. So yeah. What is it about? As if you don't, can't right. tell from the title. So let me give a little backstory here. One of the producers I went to high school with. Wow. I'm not going to say who, because then you'll go look up what. Anyway, this show has been around, gosh, for 10, 12 years. So this is the premise. You're naked. They make you get naked. A guy and a girl, and they send you off. For 21 days. That's how the show started up for three weeks. Go survive basically with nothing literally on your back. And they give you a map of where you go, where you can go, and then a map where you need to be picked up in three weeks. And so when you first watch it, you're going to see a lot of pixelation. Okay, because this is an important point. Yes. They're not really naked. They're naked, but all of their stuff is pixelated yeah, out. Yeah, you're not going to see it. And I have to say this. I've watched enough that I honestly don't even think about them being naked. And I think once you're in some of the situations, some of these people get them, they don't care either. I don't. But again, there's a staging aspect to this because there's a producer, there's a cameraman following these people around. Who could uh, whisper in their ear, right. hey, maybe let's have some drama. Maybe why don't right. you disagree with your naked and afraid partner and you say that you need to be out hunting and she says you need to be out building shelters and go. Yeah. And that's one of the criticisms to all of these shows. What I think is interesting though with this, um, and they've done it a lot of different ways. They've done naked and afraid XL where they take groups of people. Fat people? No, where okay. they've taken groups of people who have been on the show before, kind of the veterans, send them off into groups into uh, typically warm climates, Africa, South America, Central America. Um, they did one show where they sent them off to somewhere cold and that didn't go so well because yeah. naked people in the cold, it's bad. We've all done it. No, no we haven't. <laughs> So what I think is interesting is, again, with this is they tend to pull contestants that are from kind of alpha sorts of jobs, military, police, construction, construction there was that construction workers, guy from New York City, um, bodybuilder types, strong people, because it does take an element of strength. And then people who have some skills with that. They're not going to pull from the prepping community and bushcraft community. And then they kind of sometimes they just do a super fan Send a video in and see if you'll get picked. And so they'll pull people that are just kind of fun fans off the street. Sacrificial lambs oh for my 21 gosh. days out in the in the wild. So what I think is interesting with this show, they'll pair up somebody who's like a former SEAL <laughs> and pair it with a person who's a, a hippie. Yeah. Who's, no, this is for real. This, this is, is actually real. the pairings. And SEAL a, and hippie. Yeah. This is for real. And I'm going to tell you right now. Let me just throw this out there. SEAL and hippie. Who wins, Glenn? 
the hippie. The hippie. Usually. And there's all kinds of, I think, partially or totally staged drama Absolutely. between the two. So many times, and maybe this is the the soft anti-male uh, bias of TV producers. Exactly. The seal or the construction worker, whatever it is, comes across as really bossy and mean, which I, I don't find to be realistic. Obviously, it can happen, but I don't think it's you know common. I think that a lot of tough guys in a survival situation are going to be smart guys and they're not going to be bossy. And these are people, these pairings, these are not married couples. So these are people that don't know each other at all. And it's very dramatic. They actually meet when they're naked. Yeah, exactly. It's very, off, right. it's very uh, dramatic. It's like they take them out to the location and each one of them takes their clothes off in front of the other one. It's like, Hey, how's it going? Oh, look, you're naked. You, I mean, that's an odd social setting. Yeah. I don't believe I've ever really had that happen. Yeah, to me. let's, yeah, no. So we're not going to do we're that. not going to do that. No, either. we're not going to do that. So it is partially staged, but it, it's not overdone. I mean, sometimes you can see it happening, but it's not like professional wrestling where you right. walk into it knowing this is all goofy or national politics. That would be another example. Yeah. What's interesting about this show, there is no prize. It's just sheer... <laughs> Did you make it your 21 days? Did you make it your 100 days? Did you make it? Did you win? There's no challenges. There's just, did you make it? That's what I think is interesting about that show. There's no prize. And I don't think Naked and Afraid is as good of a show on the mental aspect as Alone is. There is an mm -hmm. aspect. Oh, gosh. 21 days mm -hmm. in Costa Rica getting bitten by fire ants. There's a mental aspect to that. And that's another thing that I think that Naked and Afraid does very well. And that is showing you the effects of insects because and I'll be honest, Shelby and I have always lived in the temperate West where there really aren't any insects in Washington, Oregon, mm -hmm. and another state uh, in Montana. There really are no bugs no. and none to speak of. And so bugs aren't part of our daily world. Right. But I'll tell you, my relatives in Oklahoma, it's like a part of their daily oh, life. Oh, gosh, yeah. And so- and, and they've done some locations in Florida, in the swamps of Florida, where there are bugs and there are alligators. Stuff that'll kill you. And I will throw that out there, too. The the mental game that comes with, you know, you're in Costa Rica and, oh, gosh, look, there's a rain cloud coming. And then you have a severe downpour that causes flash flooding. Yeah. Uh-oh, now we're separated from the rescue team. That's and our fire went out. And our fire went out, and it's now 10 degrees or 20 degrees or whatever, and it's cold, and you're naked. So there is a survival aspect to it, but they'll tap you out pretty quick if you're medically fragile in some way. And what's interesting about that, if your partner taps out, you get to stay. On your own. On your own. So then you're doing the alone thing. And what I find with that show, because it's 21 days, here's the thing. You can fatten yourself up before you go and you can do the basically a 21 day fast. And as long as you've got water, you can make it. But you, Food wise. Food wise. But, and I will say this, on the 21 day challenges that they do, very rarely does somebody like catch a deer or kill a major animal. They'll go for bugs. They'll go for, you know, small things like frogs or whatever to eat those. It's on their 100 day challenges that they're going for a big kill. They're going for an, an animal to And 100 day in alone, not no, Naked one, and Afraid. No, Naked and Afraid has their oh, Naked and Afraid that. XL okay. that is 100 okay. days. And that's when they're going for big game. And those are typically in places where there's like antelope or deer or elk or something some sort of springy, boingy thing that'll run away from you really fast. What kind of equipment are Naked and Afraid contestants given? None. Not even fire None. Well, I take that back. When you first start, when you go, you meet your little partner and they're right there, they leave for you a map and generally a tool or two. So it is hit or miss and you get to bring one thing. And so, everyone brings magnesium fire starter, yeah, a lot which of should do. tell you about the importance right. of magnesium fire starter. If you don't know how to do fire starting, you need to bring a, and a machete is a really good idea. What's interesting is the people who are really, really good at fire starting, like they have practiced, they're really good at it. They go out naked and afraid and they can't start a fire. Because they're in Costa Rica they're and there's a downpour for some, 20 minutes right. that is, you know, three inches of rain. And let's talk about that. If you don't have fire in an environment like this, you cannot, you cannot purify water. That's a game changer. So do you see how these are, even though really quickly I start focusing on the skills and suddenly I don't see pixelation anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting show to watch. And I'll say on the naked issue, it is harder for me to buy in 
to naked and afraid than it is alone because mm -hmm. there's some staged aspects. I mean, yeah, and I just see like you know naked people on camera, even though they're pixelated, and I just I'm like, this is so unnatural. Nobody's gonna walk around naked with a total stranger. I can't get past that. Right. So it's, it's harder it for me to buy in. Kind of staged that way, but it's really interesting to watch once all that goes away. How it, yeah, it's interesting. And I've learned stuff from it. It's not yeah. the best. If I had a choice, I'd watch alone. What's, um, what's another show? Another show that I like watching. Rounding out the three shows we're suggesting. And I've used tips from them is Homestead Rescue. Highly recommend Homestead Rescue. Yeah, Homestead Rescue. Definitely there's some staged aspects to it. I'm yes. going to tell you that right now. We only have two days to dig a water well and put an in-ground cellar. Oh, Oh, please. I'm sure it took him two weeks, not two days. Yeah. Give me a break. And then there's always a neighbor that has a backhoe. Yeah, I, mean, there's, there's, I know. Right. That's one of my favorite things. Like sort of the unrealistic parts of Homestead Rescue are not so overpowering as to make it unbelievable. It's just you go, really, your neighbor really had a backhoe? I, just right when you needed one and didn't have one before the show got here. Huh. huh. That's kind of weird. The premise is there's this older man, Marty is his name. I forget yeah. their last name. Cool guy. Cool guy. And he homesteaded in Alaska. The dude has done his homestead. It's where he currently lives. Currently off lives. Off grid. Off grid with his wife. Two of his kids join him in the show. So what they do is they go to people's homesteads. And that people are, write into the show and say, Ask for help. Hey, I have a homestead in Arizona and my water well is poisoned. What do I do? And they show up in these places. These homesteads are, are in wreck. terrible shape. They're a wreck. And which should prove also another aspect of this show that I like. Anyone that thinks completely going off the grid and completely homesteading is easy needs to watch this show. Yeah. Now, they okay. only go to homesteads that are in trouble. So it's a self-selecting group. However, you see all these people with these great intentions and, and they're not dumb people. No, and they're great ideas. And they did some due diligence. Yeah, it's just that it's super hard to pull off. So right. keep going. Homestead so, Rescue. Let me just throw this out here, too, as a little sidebar. I just read about a month, month and a half ago, family in Colorado was found starved to death yeah. on a homestead. They did the whole, we're going to go live off the grid. We're going to live by ourselves. Mother, father, and teenage kid starved. Yeah. So this show aims to prevent that. Aims to prevent that. So they go to this homestead that's struggling in some way, whether it be... Bad water, the structures, the things. Landslide, mm -hmm. dangers. Mm -hmm. So they help build up that. And and what I really appreciate about it is what helps homesteads in general do well is having a side gig. Uh, you, you see that vividly. Which I like. If you're going to do homesteading, like off-grid homesteading, you need to have a side gig, whether it be wood milling, animal husbandry, selling some sort of product, some podcasting sort of podcasting. Podcasting with Andy at Podcast Access. Exactly. So they help you get your side gig going. Uh, Marty has side gigs going up at his homestead in Alaska. So I really appreciate that they help them find sources of income. I will say this. I get great ideas for homesteading, especially animal husbandry and gardening from the daughter, which is that's her gig is the chickens, the rabbits, the animals, the gardening. She generally is the one that will help set up a greenhouse. She's the one that I got the idea because I got so tired of having to deal with digging animals, getting digging and getting like raccoons, raccoons digging and getting into chicken coops, burying chicken wire along with barbed wire yeah. so that if an animal hits that, they're going to stop. Dig away, you little trash panda. Yeah. Your paws are going to get cut to shreds exactly. and maybe you won't do anymore. So you, you mentioned the daughter does animal husbandry and gardening. Mm -hmm. What are some of the other roles that, that the two other guys kind of specialize in? And I'm forgetting their names, but there's this son. He generally does hunting and um, generally does... Um, like building, yeah, building buildings, whether it be, and it's generally- He's a carpenter. He's a carpenter type and a person. Hunter. And a hunter. And so if somebody's struggling with hunting, I'll help him do that. And, or, and it, sometimes people even have fears about that. What the dad does, Marty, backhoeing. We need to move a Chainsawing too. Chainsawing. He's a, he's a quintessential Alaska dude. Right. Give him a chainsaw and he will, you don't have a wood mill, he'll mill it. He can do the chainsaw skills on that man are amazing. So he will um, also the son and the father very good at solar setting up solar uh, arrays and things like that. So, he, but if they need to move something, dig something, move rock, move earth, put Marty behind a backhoe. 
and he'll push that thing to its limits. It's kind of crazy. And some of the, the Marty, um, backhoe, uh, scenes mm-hmm. are rather dramatic because he'll be tottering on a cliff and like some rocks will start moving underneath the treads. And I don't think you can stage that. Maybe mm-hmm. you can, but I'm telling you, it doesn't feel staged. It, it he, feels yeah. like, oh, I'm about to watch a really cool guy die. He pushes the limit. So what's interesting, I, and I found a lot of help watching, is during COVID when they couldn't film. Yeah. They did about a season where they worked on their own personal properties up in Alaska. The daughter... Has, has is living on a property right next to or on the same property as Marty is. And um, he built a new cabin from wood that he milled. And sadly, the cabin, luckily he had that built because his own cabin that he was living in with his wife burned. Yeah. And so it's interesting watching the projects that they work on. They set up a mill. They set up some more animal husbandry um, barns and shelters and things like that. And this is in Alaska. This is where your growing season is about two months. Yeah. This is where it gets cold at the in August, you know. So yeah. it was really interesting to watch those shows and see what they do personally in their lives to forage, to create side gigs, to make money, to to live off the grid. So I think that show no again, I think that shows interesting. I get good ideas and good tips, but I go into it with the understanding that there is there's some a staged aspect. One of the reasons there's a staged aspect is supposedly in the show, when the homestead rescue family shows up, they only have seven days to save the homestead. And and you alluded to this. There's no way that they can do all this stuff. They can build a greenhouse. They can build a chicken coop. They can, and there's three people and, and the homeowners, oh, the, the homesteaders help. To, they have to yeah. put some blood and sweat into it and, for and, sure. And, and then, you know, and then take out a, a, a soon to fall, you know, mountainside yes. or something like that. And so I think that the idea that there are seven days is to hurry things along and create artificial crises. A side note about artificial crises in reality TV shows, a former guest on our show, Colonel Jeff er- yes. Aylesworth, um, who did a segment on bug out vehicles, uh, which was fantastic. Um he actually, he and his family were actually in a pilot for a reality show, a prepping reality show. It was called uh, Bug Out Vehicles, and that's what they do. They do bug out vehicles. They customize them. They do amazing work. It's They're fascinating people. Very cool. They're friends, too. And so the premise of the pilot, which did not get picked up, unfortunately, was um, they have a week to, to, to turn a regular pickup truck into something with, you know, a 50 caliber machine gun that was actually, it was semi-automatic, so it was legal. It was that actually in the really show. That would be really cool. That would be really cool. Um, and it had to have like extra fuel tanks and like water purification and like solar stuff. I can tell you from talking to, and, and I call him Colonel Aylesworth. He's a colonel in the books. He's not a colonel in real life. He would not want to do the false valor thing. So he what doesn't want anyone to think that he was a colonel in the military when he was not. But- he said, yeah, um, like when all of a sudden we would machine something, uh, producers would come in and say, uh, that's going to be the wrong size. And then you're, you've got a deadline and you've got to remachine it. And it's OK if you guys get snippy with each other. So I have, setup, I have firsthand yeah. knowledge. Well, secondhand knowledge, I should say. Secondhand knowledge that reality shows are exactly what you thought, which is – kind of staged. Yep. And and so that when we're talking about that level of staging in Homestead Rescue, that's what we're talking about, about like fake deadlines and maybe some some fake uh, problems interacting. Now, the family usually doesn't have strife with each other. It's often with the homesteading family because not always, so it's not 100% stage, but often there will be one member of the homesteading family that's not down with the program. And right. one of the very cool things about that show is, and typically it's the daughter who does this, they mentor and motivate mm-hmm. reluctant homesteaders into being full team members. And it's really cool to watch. It is. And and generally there is within the family a concern, a strife. Uh, it's not a full book. Often it's teenage kids that want to go to prom, but they can't because they're in the middle of they nowhere. Or they want to go to college, but they can't because they feel like their parents are about ready to 
lose their property. Literally die yeah. if they're not there to help. One of the lessons I learned on one of the their episodes was the couple, young couple in Alaska have um, mush dogs, you know, the Alaskan Mal- Malamute. Uh, uh, Iditarod, kind, Iditarod of kind of dogs. They have like 50 dogs and they have a huge fire concern because they're out in the woods and a couple of forest fires came very close to them. And uh, they realized, what if we need to bug out right now? What if there's a fire 10 minutes away? So Marty comes in and does this, all right, fake fire. You have 10 minutes to get out here, get all your dogs and get out. And it was sheer pandemonium. pandemonium. And so had to convince this family to, to chop down fire breaks around their property. Which the dad didn't want to do. Actually, the wife didn't want to do. Okay. We want privacy. We don't want our neighbors to know what we're doing. And I yeah, get that. You don't have one for 50 miles. I yeah. think you're good. I, right. So kind of convincing people the practical side, not just always aesthetics or just it's fun to have all these dogs. But so I, to be honest with you, I learned from that. I, I was thinking, gosh, if we have to bug out where we are, that's consider the animals, which one stay, which one go and think about the how cats to, can stay. Yes, they can. Yes. I know you don't like our cat. Do, oh my gosh. Yes. Let's, let's not get started. No, let's not get started on it. The dog definitely makes it out. Yep. Yep. So chickens, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Barbecued chicken is yeah, what's going to happen I hate there. to say it, but when we get to the point where we have larger animals, such as horses. Which is coming soon. Which is coming soon. We need to think about, all right, can we have a trailer ready? We load them up and get them out. Yep. Yep. So the, it, it, it's great that the mental side yes. of Homestead Rescue is there. It's not nearly as pronounced as alone, but you're never going to beat the mental mm. learning stuff from alone. You just can't beat it. And what's nice, again, let's go back, Homestead Rescue, they they set these people on a new path. They leave them, got them on a good path. Oh, this is cool. And then they do a six weeks later, three months later, kind of a checkup and how yeah. they're doing. And it is for the, the generally for each family, there's this, oh my gosh, it was so nice to have these people come help us and reset our goals here. And then three months later, seeing them doing better. Yeah. That's not always 100%, but doing a thousand times better. Yeah. And that's why I think the follow-ups are nice, authentic because mm-hmm. they aren't always a hundred percent awesome. They're 50% awesome. Yeah. It's a huge it's improvement a and the people whole- are, gra- are grateful to the family. And, um, so it is a great, another great thing about, now that I think mm-hmm. about this, Homestead Rescue is- Each one, each show has a good thing to take away. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it shows the uh, usefulness and the joy of having a tight-knit family. Yeah. You yeah. really see it. And and I don't know that all families, I mean, you know, are as tight-knit as, as them. Now, it could be- that they're only showing the positive stuff on camera and and they're actually yelling at each other all the time and we just don't see it. But well, I have to tell you, I, I, you come away thinking if you've got a tight knit family, especially people with skills, you can kind of do anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, and everyone on the same page, let's get everyone on the same page. So we have a, a, the, the goal is the same for everyone. So folks, we're going to talk about one of our other favorite shows. Should we just tell them what it is yeah. to tease them? Jericho. We're going to talk about Jericho in the after show because that's all the time we have left. But folks, as always, from our am- amazing founding father, Benjamin Franklin, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Have a great week, everyone. Adios. See you next week. You've been listening to Prepping 2.0 with authors Glenn Tate and Shelby Gallagher. All the information you've heard today, including all our previous shows, is online at prepping2-0.com. Find out more about Glenn's books at 299days.com and Shelby's books at agreatstate.com. Until next time, be smart, be safe, and be prepared.